This is Bragging Rights, a show all about college football, where the conversations are lively, the topics are trivial, and the hosts are semi-knowledgeable. And now, here are your hosts, Madison and Pierce. Welcome in to another edition of Bragging Rights. Week four is in the books, the first week of SEC play, and boy, oh boy, was it fun. I had a blast sitting and watching all of the games this past week, and I hope you did too. We are here to break it all down, but before we get into that, I need to introduce my co-host. I am Madison, and I'm joined as always by my brother Pierce. Pierce, how are you? Uh, mixed bag of emotions this week. I, uh... I'm I'm in the uh, the optimistic mode right now after this past weekend. Heck of a weekend! It was incredible. To just sit sit down on the couch and watch every single game that you could you could take in. And it was obviously going to be an interesting weekend, knowing that there were a lot of teams coming out and debuting uh, for the first time this season. So it was interesting. I, I still think there's a lot to learn, but I think we did le- learn some things, um, very baseline type of things. But it was it you know. I say I, I say I'm I'm starting to bec- get into the optimistic phase of the week because, um, you know both both of my uh, teams of choice are uh, coming off uh, so so or or crummy weekend so it was kind of a mixed bag for me it was great to get it back but also uh, left me with more questions for my teams and answers. Well, to be fair, both of those teams you're alluding to, Georgia and TCU, it was week number one for them. And we have seen, that's the one drum I've been beating this whole time, is that it's going to be sloppy the first week back. I anticipate it being sloppy when the Big Ten comes back. I anticipate it being sloppy when the Pac-12 comes back, so on and so forth. My team, my other team in addition to Georgia, has no excuse. They've been back for several weeks now and look disgusting. And that, of course, is Florida State. So, uh, you know, it could be worse, Pierce. I'm just going to let you know. Your fandom could be worse. You could be a Florida State fan. That's true. Uh, but but there's there's that um, old adage that is it better to or is it more frustrating to be middling and not get to the top than than be bad but also have have sniffed success over the last you know ten fifteen years I, I say that only to say you know TCU's kind of had that Georgia's kind of had that in a way but still it's like at some point it, you you just kind of know you're bad but the program has a chance to bubble up every now sure. and then. So. It's the whole, would you rather have a team that is pitiful for five years, but every one, once every five years is going to be like incredible, you could but say the Miami. other four years are going to stink. Or would you rather always have a 10-win season but never be able to get over that hump? Exactly. And, and you could say that about, you know, obviously Georgia was a prime example back uh, in the Richt era with, uh, you know, they were good for seven to ten wins a season, but they could never get over the hump. And and that just drives people batty, in my opinion. I, you know, I think the best example on the other side is Auburn. Every uh, For the last 15 years, it seems like every five years they bubble up, and while they may be crummy for a couple of years, they, they bubble up and end up making it to the big dance, and they've won at least one uh, one time. I think they're one and one. They lost to FSU to your Knowles. So um, it is an interesting thought. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, to Pierce's point, there's going to be heartbreak this year. There's going to be, uh, you know, a little bit of a heartache as well. Uh, and, and we're going to see things like teams not be able to play like we saw with the Georgia State snafu. We'll get into that a little bit in, uh, in a little bit. But it's better to have football than to not have nothing. So despite the fact that it looks to be we might have a rough season 
personally, we still are getting to watch football, and it has been fun so far through week four. It definitely felt like the juice was back with the SEC coming back, uh, and so I'm excited to watch that. I mean, there's going to be a big SEC matchup every single week. You got uh, the Deep South's oldest rivalry this upcoming week, and I can't wait to break that down. Scared to watch the actual game, but, but excited to break it down. But Pierce, before we get into our week four recap, we have to hit the people with our good, our bad, and our ugly performances of the week. Pierce, my good performance of the week is going to be Mississippi State's new offense. Now, I want to take a second and just remind you a few years back when Tennessee was looking for a new coach. And there was a couple rumors, obviously the Greg Schiano thing went down and they basically rioted on Rocky Top and said, absolutely not, we do not want Greg Schiano. But then there was also a lot of rumors about Mike Leach and that deal seemed to basically be done. And I remember sitting back and I will admit I was one of those people who thought, oh, hell yeah, hire Mike Leach. His offense will never work in the SEC. Now, of course, they pulled out the rug from underneath them. Full Fulmer basically led a coup and said, uh-uh, and was able to not only get Mike Leach not hired as the head football coach, but also made himself the AD in the process. They go and get Jeremy Pruitt, and that's been an okay deal for them, but Lord have mercy. You might be having a little bit of buyer's remorse if you are a UT ball after seeing the performance that Mike Leach is air raid offense uh what the performance they put on versus the defending national champions LSU now here's the thing we knew LSU wasn't going to be great and we'll break it down a lot more when we get into it but the numbers that KJ Costello put up on Saturday Pierce 623 yards through the air five touchdowns he attempted 60 passes 60 passes. Now, he did throw a couple picks. Uh, He connected on 36 of those 60, but Lord have mercy. This Mississippi State team is going to be fun to watch, and they're going to surprise some people. Now, that being said, now that teams are starting to look, you know, get a first look at this air raid offense in the SEC, you know, kind of stinks that LSU had to be the guinea pig to go up against that, but it's going to be super fun uh, to watch, and I think that they might get stopped a few times, but they're going to upset some people too. I'm super excited to watch what Nick Saban does against them, and Kirby Smart as well. So that's going to be my good performance. We'll break it down more uh, when we get into it, but that's my good performance of the week. Mississippi State's new offense, what is your good performance of the week? You know, it's it's hard not to piggyback that one, um, but for the sake of this segment, I'm going to go with Miami. Um, I, I thought about lumping in the upper echelon teams in the ACC, uh, but I got to go Miami, and here's why. It, it's not a surprise they blew out FSU. Uh, FSU obviously has a lot of notable problems and issues on their team right now. Uh, plus, they were without their head coach. Um, you know, I'm sure that didn't make things easier. That being said, there were still a lot of pundits that that came into this game. You know, analyzing everything to the nth degree, and Everyone still thought Florida FSU would keep it a game, at least for a few quarters. Um, you know, not not to say Miami wouldn't pull away, but it just kind of validates even more that Miami is here. They're playing well. They obviously have the talent. Um, and, and, and I kind of look at it from a, a long-term view here. Obviously, this year they have a chance to, uh, you know, compete with the Clemsons, potentially, certainly the Notre Dames. I, I feel like even though I'm high on Notre Dame, you know, they, they ought to run the table outside of those two games. And I don't know if who from those two teams do they play this season, if if any. Um, that being said, you got to like their prospects. They, they've, they've got one of their better uh, recru- chances at a, at a top recruiting class in a long time this year, and they're always going to have talent. I, I hate to say it, but uh, Diaz is, is 
doing something down there in uh, in Coral Gables. All right, Pierce. My bad performance of the week is the lab that got the Georgia State COVID tests wrong. I don't know if you've heard this story, and I talked about it a little bit in our daily podcast today, but I just wanted to recap for those who haven't heard. Uh, Georgia State, as they're loading up on the plane to go to play Charlotte, they get told, hey, four out of 135 players have tested positive. Now, that seems like a pretty low threshold, but I guess between contact tracing and all those things, they had they said, okay, shut it down, get everybody off the plane, we're not going, we can't do it. Immediately then, they take their those four players and they get them retested. Now, they, I guess it's kind of like you hear people now who say, well, I did the send-off test where it takes 48 hours, but I went ahead and got the rapid just so I would have a grasp about like, hey, you're probably positive or not, um, and, and then confirm it with the send-off test, but I can't wait for 48 hours. I kind of want to know now, and it kind of sounds like maybe that's what was going on. They did kind of like a more rapid test, and then they went off and did, hey, let's, let's, let's retest these guys and see what happens. Not only did those four players all come back negative on the second test, but they went back and retested the initial swabs and they were negative as well. It turns out through human error, there was a, uh, the, the results were read wrong and Georgia State and Charlotte were not able to play this game, even though they should have been not a single player on the Georgia State roster were positive with COVID. That's just a downright bad performance. You hate to see that. And you, you think to yourself, man, that really stinks for those two teams. But can you imagine if that was like an Alabama or, well, or, you know, uh, uh, if this was the Mississippi State and LSU game and we didn't get the best game of the weekend because there was a, you know, human error in reading test results. You hate to see that. I hope that uh, these bigger teams, I mean, I hate to throw that shade, but the bigger teams have this figured out because I would hate, hate, hate to not be able to play a game. I mean, let's say this weekend. As Auburn's getting ready to load the buses to come to Athens, they get told, hey, five of your players have tested positive for COVID. You can't play this game. And it turns out it was wrong. I would be heartbroken. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. Uh, you, you First thing you question is, you know, what are these, what are these schools doing? How did they let this get to, uh, to this standpoint? Not surprising, err on the side of caution. But still, you know, you, you do think like, you know, surely if the SEC, Big Ten, Big Twelve had something similar to this happen, they'd be a little bit more buttoned up. It wouldn't have gotten to this standpoint. Um, but still, it's uh, you know, it's just the way of the world right now. It's it's tough. I I don't know what to think anymore. But I guess best to err on the side of caution, regardless in this situation. But not a, not a not a great look for the uh, testing the lab there. Absolutely not. What's your bad performance of the week, Pierce? So mine is a uh, is all encompassing. It's uh, the Big Twelve, and 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 I say that obviously you could throw in Oklahoma for the worst performance of the week, and and rightfully so. But you also had your upper echelon school one uh, B, if you will, in that conference, Texas, um, who you know people are already saying are they're back, lose to it or barely barely beat a team in Texas Tech who struggled with Houston Baptist two weeks ago. And, and in all honesty, I just don't think Texas Tech is in for a great season. Yes, Texas put up points, but boy, I mean, I just I don't know. I just Big Twelve right now. Even when you're a a lesser team in a conference, you still want to see a team in your conference compete for for it all. And I just don't see that happening. And 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 it's a shame. And I, I think everyone's, you know, who's going to get there? Baylor? No, I don't think so. I think it, it paves the way for a. A second team in either the ACC or the Big Ten or the or, or the SEC, most likely in my opinion, the ACC to get in, and that's a shame. I think Big Big Twelve was really hoping for uh, for Oklahoma this year. We'll see all eyes on Texas now. 
Absolutely. And to, to I say to piggyback, it's kind of opening up a different, I want to go deeper on one of those matchups, one that we didn't preview, so we're not going to have a chance to talk about it in our recap. But Pierce, the Texas Longhorns are my ugly performance of the week. They did get the win, but they needed to go to overtime versus Texas Tech in order to do so and had to rely on a couple of late touchdowns in order to even get to overtime. I mean, 63 to 56 is the final score of that. I mean, there was basically no defense played. Uh, Alan Bowman puts up 325 yards for Tech, five touchdowns, three interceptions. So it's not like they weren't, you know, forcing error. It's just that they couldn't necessarily stop the Texas Tech offense, which is known to be good. But to your point, Pierce, between that and the performance that Oklahoma put on as well, how many times do we have to say, how many years in a row do we have to say, hey, Big 12, you got to figure out your defense situation if you want to survive in the playoffs. And I'm kind of crying at the thought of we might potentially have to watch a Big 12 team in the playoffs because it's going to be another blowout. I mean, if you look at they go against Clemson, great defense. Alabama, great defense. We haven't seen Ohio State yet, but they've got a great defense. Those are the those are the three teams right now that you're probably looking at. Granted, Ohio State hasn't played a snap yet, but those are the three teams that that look to be favorites to make the playoffs. I, the the two teams that we saw from the Big Twelve that were favorites, Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma lost, so they might be out of the equation, but Texas, he's going to get just absolutely smashed by any of those teams. I really, really hope that this year the the committee does the right thing and leaves the Big Twelve out and, and you know looks at a. A, a second SEC team, a second ACC team, you know, if, if Notre Dame runs the gamut or if, you know, uh, you, you're looking at a Penn State and a Michigan. I don't care. I just really hope we don't have to be subjected to another blowout loss by a Big 12 team. So for that reason, Texas's performance is my ugly performance of the week due to the fact that it just seems like even though they're, we're back and they are going to rise to the polls due to a couple people in front of them losing, it wasn't a great performance. And I don't, I don't believe in this Texas team at all. No, and to add one quick thing to that, I will say this about Texas. If they're able to sneak through in the Big 12, I I, I, I lean towards, if you were to pose the, the question to me, would you prefer a down Oklahoma team or a down Texas team to sneak into the playoffs? I'd probably say for if my team was in on the other side, I'd probably want Oklahoma. Texas tends to play a little bit more straight up, kind of like an SEC, you know, they, they they tend to do a little bit better in the trenches and 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 not be that, you know. First half they light it on fire and then they struggle with that spread offense type ordeal. They can do that. They can put up points as you saw, but it's interesting. It's interesting to think about. But I'm I'm on, I'm on board with what you uh, what you said. My my ugly of the week going back to the SEC. I've got to go A and M here. And it's funny. I thought about taking uh, Vandy as my good. I really did. Because losing some of the guys they did, Kalaja Lipscomb, um, I mean, you know, they lost weapons at every level, running back, tight end, um, wide receiver. So the fact that while they didn't, they weren't stellar on offense, they did some nice things. And to go into, uh, you know, albeit without a full stadium, A&M still did have fans. I thought it was a great performance. I thought... A&M, I mean, we've been waiting for this team once Jimbo got there for, I mean, heck, the last three years now to, to, to take that next step, and they just haven't. And I just don't see this going well for them. And going, and Obviously, they had a look ahead late week, and you know, not many teams that debuted this week played spectacular. But still, they're going into Tuscaloosa next week. you got to think that's a scary proposition when you got Kellen Mond, who's just not – hasn't taken that next step to uh, – to, to, elite level 
Absolutely. Well, that's our good, bad, and ugly of the week. And without further ado, let's break down the games that we previewed for week four. Let's recap those. Pierce, we're going to start it off with the number five Florida Gators and the Ole Miss Rebels, the lane train debuting and uh, in Oxford, I should say. And ultimately, the Florida Gators were able to get it done. What a great Great game for them offensively. 51-35 to 35 is the final there. But the real story here is Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts specifically. Uh, I'm seeing some fellow podcasts uh, you know, call that the Kyle Driver, K2, things of that nature. Uh, that's going to be a fun connection to watch, and teams better be looking out for that because Kyle Trask, 30 for 42, 416 yards through the air and six touchdowns that's big 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 news for them uh and an awesome to see finally Mullen has his quarterback there in Gainesville uh the Ole Miss Rebels for what it's worth were able to move the ball Matt Corral the starting QB for the Rebels was 22 for 31 395 yards and three touchdowns but ultimately Florida is able to hold them off and 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 you know really just route them from start to finish uh I hate to say it Pierce but Britton Cox Jr. uh on the defense for Florida looked really good 11 tackles for loss including a turnover so Florida starts to look like hey all that media hype that that made them the potential favorites in the East, it's looking real, and and you should feel pretty good if you're Dan Mullen. Yeah, and Britton Cox, uh, you know, as great as he did, he showed flashes. He he really he played well, but he also was caught in some bad film where he just gave up on plays, and it was not a good look. But they need him to step up. They lost uh, they lost Grenard last year. They lost Zaniga. They lost some great DNs. So they need him to be uh, to be productive on the outside there. Uh, Interesting game. It was a heck of a game. I, I, you know, for as uh, much as I hate this Florida team, it was fun to watch these two teams go at it because there was just offense like crazy. Interesting. Obviously, you knew Kyle Trask was going to put up points against a, a defense that in Ole Miss is just not great. You knew Ole Miss would would produce on offense because of Lane uh, Lane Kiffin and his. And you you were excited to watch that. And Corral had a great game, and I think they've got. A lot to work with there, to be honest. I think they're only going to get better talent-wise on the offensive side of the ball. Defense is the key, though, and they really struggled on defense. And you knew you knew Kyle Trask was going to put up numbers. You knew Kyle Pitts was going to come in and put up numbers. But I think this is more of a product of the fact that Ole Miss doesn't have much of a defense. It'll be interesting to see because they still didn't run the ball that well. It was a it was a tailback by committee. Um, but I don't know how how you're going to be able to do that against the you know Alabama's, LSU's, Georgia's of the world. So that puts more pressure on the quarterback. So it's interesting. I, I feel like I learned a little bit more about Ole Miss uh, than than I did Florida, and that's saying a lot. I think uh, there's a little bit of an overreaction right now to Florida. I do think they are the favorites for the East, but there's still some question marks there. They still look like the same team that they were last year. Absolutely. Hey, Pierce, the number 23 Kentucky Wildcats went down to the Plains to take on the number eight Auburn Tigers. Kentucky was looking for its first top 10 SEC road victory since they topped Mississippi in 1964. Ultimately, this would not be the game for them to get it done. Terry Wilson did return from his knee injury, looked a little iffy today, or yeah, today, this weekend. Uh, I don't know if he's necessarily the answer. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see if Joey Gatewood might get uh, eligible here sometime in the year. Uh, but, but we went to halftime, and it was tied, or not tied, it was 8-7 to seven with Auburn in the lead. And I thought to myself, well, we got a ball game here, but it was all Bo Nix in the second half. He throws three touchdown passes, and the Auburn Tigers win this game 29-13. to 13. 
they will go up to Athens next week to play Georgia. That's going to be an interesting one. I, I, you know, we'll get into the Georgia game a little bit later, but uh, you got to like Auburn's chances in that. As for Kentucky, there were some good things that happened here. I really liked uh, Lavoisier Smoke, uh, or Cavassier, sorry, Lavoisier, Cavassier Smoke uh, in this game, uh, but ultimately they weren't able to to stop Bo Nix through the air. So it was all Tigers, all late. Auburn wins. Well, and they didn't give it to Cavassier enough. Um, I, uh, you know, this was a, 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 an unfortunate game for me to watch. That instance where, you know, Kentucky was down the goal line and the tailback looked like he was in and there was no question about it. They overrule it. And yes, Auburn picked it off the next play and returned it for a touchdown that was called back. But still, that was a huge momentum shifter. And you could just sense the tide turn there. And it was unfortunate because Kentucky looked like the slightly better team. I thought these two teams were very even at the end of the day. Both teams, I felt like Kentucky abandoned the run too soon. Part of that was a product of getting down. So can't blame them. Interesting to see if uh, Wilson will be the answer moving forward at, at QB for the Wildcats. Again, remember, it was his first game back from an ACL, cert, ACL tear. That that takes some time. Give him give him another week or two to, to get his bearings under him. I think he will retain the starting job, but we'll see. It'll be interesting moving forward. Auburn failed to run the ball very well again, and that just – as good as Auburn looked in this game for what I think people thought would be a down year, um, not sold on this team. And I think uh, I think if anything, it'll be interesting to see that game against the Dogs next week because I think that line will be a little bit smaller than what people have, uh, just they're a little bit biased on the last, last week. So we'll see how that goes. But again, um, great game to watch. Unfortunate how things panned out, but um, two promising teams. Absolutely. Let's flip it over to ACC action. The number 24 Louisville Cardinals were looking for their conference win as they headed up to Pittsburgh to take on the number 21 Panthers. They would end up losing that game, Pierce, 23 to 20. Give credit to Pitt's defense. They were not, uh, or they were able to shake up Malik Cunningham enough so that he really wasn't able to get comfortable. Mikhail. No, he's going by Malik now. Have you not heard this story? What? So, so the media was calling him Mikhail. But he came out like last week or two weeks ago and said, I don't know why y'all call me Mikhail. Everybody, I guess it might be his God-given name or something or maybe his nickname or something. He said, everybody calls me Malik. That's weird. So he has, he has asked the media now to start calling him Malik Cunningham. So I know it's weird. I have to I have to catch myself going, who's Malik Cunningham? Oh, yeah, that's Mikhail. Yeah, the artist formerly known as Mikhail Cunningham. Anyways, he wasn't really able to get comfortable in this game. He only completed nine passes for 107 yards through three interceptions. Scary moment for him. He did end up leaving the game on a stretcher with about a minute 19 left. Uh, Scott Satterfield said that he had feeling in all of his extremities, was being evaluated. As of now, I don't have an update as far as how he's doing, but stay tuned. I'm sure I will have updates in our short-form podcasts that are coming out daily, so make sure you're listening in there. But like I said, the Pitt Panthers keep rolling. They are now 3-0. Interesting to see, because I think we both kind of disrespected Pitt coming into this year. I don't think I would have seen this happening. I really would have guessed that Louisville had won this game. But like I said, all Pitt... Uh, defense credit that uh, and and for what it's worth Pickett looked pretty good as well 23 completions for 220 yards and two TDs through the air so it's good to see for that pit uh, pit Panthers yeah if I recall going back to the ACC preview I I was I felt good about Pitt but I had this sneaky suspicion about Louisville boy was I wrong Um, you know again we both did pick Pitt I, I thought Pitt would cover this spread only because I felt like they had a look look ahead game. Obviously, last week 
they're playing at home tends to be a little bit of a slower field for whatever reason. I don't know why that is. Um, cause you see the Steelers go out and light it up most weeks, but they, they, they are pretty solid on defense and you just knew if they could get it done on, on offense, just, you know, get 23 points. They, they'd have a good chance. Um, Mikhail Cunningham, you know, unfortunate injury, had a tough game. But at the end of the day, these two teams were very even. Pushed the spread of three um, that we had it at. Not surprised with this, out- this outcome, but I'm a little surprised about how Louisville has uh, not reached the expectations that I thought they'd have going into this season. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we got to do it. We got to rip the bandaid off. It's time to talk about your TCU Horn Frogs. Pierce, they lost at home in their uh, 2020 debut to the Iowa State Cyclones, the final 37 to 34. Uh, big props to Jaquan Bailey of Iowa State. Three and a half sacks. He's now Iowa State's career leader. Really cool to see for that young man. Uh, and and Brock Purdy finally living up to the hype that his quarter or his quarterback, his uh, coach gave him to start the season off. 18 completions for 211 yards and one touchdown. A couple of QBs who played for TCU. You had Downing and Duggan, uh, but neither of them were really able to get much going and, and catch the Cyclones. Uh, they end up winning, like I said, 37 to 34. But I, I did, I will say, like I said, I've keep beating this drum. It was TCU's first game. I liked some things that I saw. I didn't like some things that I saw. You hate to lose your opener, especially at home. But uh, I, I think that they are going to get it together, especially with the state of what I'm seeing with the Big 12. Yeah, I love what you just said. Uh, TCU's first game, you knew they were going to f- be feeling it out a little bit. I mean, there's a reason it didn't hit. <laughs> so apologize, uh, listeners. But there's a reason why I took the under in this game. It was... I thought with Matthew Downing coming in, TC was going to play a much more conservative style of offense, and they did. Um, I didn't expect Iowa State to put up the numbers they did. However, two alarming things from TCU's side, which I think they'll shore up a little bit. Offensive line really struggled, like you hit on with, uh, what, Bailey. Uh, They had a couple other guys go for a sack or two sacks in the game. Just were dominating TCU's offensive line. And then another thing that really shocked me was Iowa State wasn't doing much as far as passing. They were throwing a lot of short passes, and I was like, man, this sets up great for TCU. They're going to jump a couple passes here, jump a couple of these, pick six maybe. This is is setting up great. But whenever a running back or or they had these random little, you know, I don't know, I don't care if they were out routes, little slants or – you know, a little stop and goes on the outside, but whenever they got out to the outside, they were they were more physical than TCU, and TCU just had nobody out there to to support or defend those guys. So it wasn't. It's something I think that Patterson will uh, will figure out. Obviously, it's tough when uh, a lot of times when you get to the outside, if you're a running back, or if you have these little short passes, you know, to these uh, to these out guys, these out out guys, and these wide receivers, and they break that first tackle. TCU does run a four-two-five, so they're going to have DBs coming at you as opposed to others, other guys. So easier to to make them miss. But those are two alarming things from TCU. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little long here, but this is my alma mater. I did like what TCU did on offense. I'm not going to lie; they struggled a little bit with Downing. Duggan came in and provided them a major spark. I was surprised that he didn't start from the get-go, but it made sense. The one thing that I go back to is man. How beneficial was it for Iowa State? Yes, they lost, and it was embarrassing, but to get a game under their belt and know that they that doesn't hurt them for the Big 12. Right. How incredible is that? I mean, 
it sucks for TCU because, in all honesty, I think at the end of the year, if these two teams play and are fully healthy, I didn't, I wasn't really impressed with what Iowa State did. Um, I just think TCU was uh, knocking off the cobweb, so to speak, and you know, give it to Iowa State. You knew they were going to come back with a vengeance. So um, interesting game. I think they could play this ten times and they'd split it five, five and five. So let's see if these teams can uh, can get to that top three or four in the Big Twelve. Absolutely. All right, let's flip it back to the SEC. We already talked about this a little bit with our good, bad, and uglies, but the Mississippi State Bulldogs in the opening game of the Mike Leach era go down to Death Valley to take on the number six defending national champions, LSU Tigers, and Mississippi State wins that game 44-33. to Like I said earlier, KJ Costello, 623 yards, sets an SEC record, five touchdowns, did throw a couple of picks, but it didn't matter because they had LSU's number. Now, I will say this. We kind of already talked about it when we talked about our SEC preview, but we knew that LSU was going to have a rough time. You don't have a generational quarterback that you lose. You don't have a generational, uh, you know, uh, wide receiver that opts out. You don't have, uh, you know, a, a, a offensive coordinator who leaves. Um, it just, we knew it was going to be rough. 14 players taken in the draft. Uh, and then you get news Saturday morning that Derek Stingley, Stingley Jr. had been hospitalized for a non-COVID-19 related issue after he fell acutely ill on Friday. Prayers up to that young man, obviously, uh, with whatever he's battling. But that already was another big hit. And you just kind of felt like, okay, so you're telling me there's a chance. I still kind of thought throughout the whole thing that LSU probably would pull it out. Um, but good Lord, did Mississippi State have... LSU's number Brennan never really looked super comfortable he did put up some pretty good numbers and and you know for what it's worth LSU was able to get a few scores in as well but Mississippi State all day long was just had LSU or like they like to call themselves DBU figured out from the get-go and it did not look great for LSU obviously they'll try to get it back together uh they are going to play Vanderbilt so they'll be able to get their bearings back underneath them get a get a win get some confidence Mississippi State goes to Arkansas so that'll probably be another win as well but I'm really, really excited to see what Mississippi State does, like I said earlier, against some teams like in Alabama um, and against a Georgia, you know, these teams that quote-unquote have more experience and have more five-stars, more blue-chip ratio and things of that nature. Uh, and, and I do think that teams will be able to figure it out. Bo Pelini was just intent on on blitzing uh, KJ Costello every single time, and that's not really how you stop an air raid. So uh, I, you gotta you got to confuse him a little bit. you got to get get him uncomfortable and things of that nature. And the defense just didn't figure that out. They just kind of were set and intent on blitzing, blitzing, blitzing. So I do think that Mississippi state will be stopped eventually, but you know, cowbells out because they're riding high right now on this, uh, on this to start this week five rather. Well, and didn't, didn't Pelini's defense remind you a lot of, of Grantham third and Grantham. Exactly. At Florida. Now I will say this, uh, going into the game, I, I, I didn't think Costello would be the type of quarterback that would be able to uh, make all the reads, and, and I thought he'd get flustered with defense. So, you know, he didn't show signs of that necessarily at Stanford. Um, but, boy, I just keep thinking about how much freaking fun is, is K.J. Costello have going to have this year. Man, to go from a, uh, you know, pro-style offense and very methodical where he – it's just not suitable for a guy that likes to air the ball out, and then you get, you bring him in, and I don't think anybody thought he was going to throw for 450 plus, let alone 600 plus. But boy, you got to be so happy for the guy to go from uh, Palo Alto, one of the most beautiful campuses in the in the land. <laughs> no offense, but to Ooh. Stark Vegas in uh, Starkville, Mississippi. But boy, 
you just need a a competent quarterback or an above average quarterback in a Mike Leach system, and you're gonna kill it. Um, I, I will say the one thing I was alarmed with uh, with Mississippi State, Kylan Hill. I'm not gonna lie, he's their best player. He had what seven seven carries for 34 yards. I know he went for 158 yards through the air. Obviously, that makes up for it. Yeah, I think only nine but of those. still, for an offensive line that did so well, I'm yeah. surprised he didn't run, especially knowing that was their best player. That being said, they didn't need to. And the most telling thing to me was the fact that Mississippi State had some screw-ups, but you never felt like they were losing the game, even if they were down. So I can't do math really quick. Does that mean only nine of his yards were on the ground? No, he had seven carries for 34 yards on the okay. ground. But he had... Eight well, I know receptions one point they only had nine yards because that was all over Twitter. Oh my god, they only have nine yards of rushing. Well, so Costello had uh, negative thirty-eight yards of oh, rushing. Oh well, then that would do it. So okay, that's why. Go. That's why. And and Mark's got uh, three carries for fifteen. But I mean, it's going to be interesting. I, I you know, listening to to Mississippi State fans today, they're so jacked up, rightfully so. But they're also you know, they're they're cautiously optimistic, but they're going to temper their their expectations a little bit. Knowing the slate, they've got Alabama and Georgia coming up in the next four weeks. That being said, I feel like this uh, air raid type of offense is a little bit more sketchy for those teams, like an for like a Georgia or an Alabama to game plan against and be ready for. So they're going to make some noise this year. We'll see. Are they a, are they a seven win team or are they a nine win team? Yeah, we'll have to see if they're a flash in the pan or if uh, this is the real deal. Really, really good debut, though, for Mike Leach. All right, we normally wouldn't talk about games like this, but due to the weird nature of 2020, it's giving us the ability to kind of talk about some of these you know, more obscure matchups. A ranked matchup at that, the number 22 Army Black Knights and the number 14 Cincinnati Bearcats squared off, and Cincinnati wins that game 24-10. to uh, I'll say this, shout out to the Cincinnati defense. They limited the Black Knights who were entering the game as the number one team in the nation on third down conversions. They only were able to convert three of 13 tries on Saturday and Desmond Ritter looked good as well. Uh, 18 for 33, 258 yards and a couple of TDs. Army just shot themselves in the foot. They had 10 10 penalties for 87 yards, which kind of prevented them from getting any sort of rhythm there on offense. So like I said, more obscure matchup than we normally talk about, but shout out to the Bearcats. They keep rolling and improved 2-0 as they go on to play South Florida at home in their AAC opener. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, Army just didn't. Didn't uh, generate enough offense to get this done. I think uh, I think you look at Army and, and it's unfortunate that there were high, there were actually lofty expectations um, going into this game. I think there were some Army people that really thought that this team could go undefeated and really compete. Now they they are a very good team, but I also look at Cincinnati and and this is such a tough game to to prepare for, tough, tough, such a tough opponent to uh, to get prepared for, and. Um, you know, uh, the spread was thirteen and a half. I think both these teams kind of just played how they how they were expected to. I, I I don't take too much away. I think it was a solid showing from both teams. Obviously, Army wishes they had a little bit more, but since he played well on defense, they they seem to be a little bit pr- more prepared than I would have thought, and that's why they uh, they were right on this spread. 
appears the West Virginia Mountaineers were traveling to Stillwater to take on the number 15 Oklahoma State Cowboys. Oklahoma State gets it done 27 to 13. For what it's worth, West Virginia put up some pretty good numbers offensively. Dogie threw for 285 yards. I think it's Dagey. Dagey. Sorry, sorry to Thank interrupt. you. Whatever. I think it's Dagey. Whatever. He spells it very, weird. Very, very odd. Anyways. I would have, you know how I pronounce words. I would have said like Dodgy. Well, earlier you thought it was Mikhail Cunningham. Well, exactly. It's Malik Cunningham. That's a uh, whole, that's a different name. I, that's not just a pronunciation thing. That's a totally different name. I thought I was going to just smoke you with that, too. I was like, I'm going to get her. She screwed no, this up. I'm up on all of I the was, oh. Anyways, he goes for 285 yards and a touchdown for West Virginia. Um, and so uh, I think at one point they were actually out gaining them, out gaining the pokes in terms of yardage. But ultimately, Chuba Hubbard uh, is able to put up some pretty ridiculous numbers, and Oklahoma State gets it done. They did make the decision not to play Spencer Sanders due to an injury. Uh, the freshman QB, I'm trying to look here, Shane Illingsworth got his first com- uh, collegiate start and completed 15 of 21 passes. Uh, he did throw an interception, but but pretty good things if you are looking at the future of that program. Uh, Oklahoma State, let's see, they're going to go to Kansas next week, so that's going to be good for them. West Virginia and Baylor, I'm interested to see that matchup. Uh, but like I said, the Pokes get it done at home and improve to 2-0. and Yeah, interesting game. Uh, a lot of people thought West Virginia might come in and, and upset this game. Um you know Hubbard did enough. Hubbard Hubbard had a much better uh, rebound rebound spot here. Oklahoma State still didn't impress me. I'm not gonna lie. I thought West Virginia looked just as as good on offense, if not better. You know they just struggled in an opportune times. Obviously, uh, a couple turnovers hurt. But at the end of the day, not not too much to add. I thought Oklahoma State would pull this out. That being said, they didn't they didn't wow me. So I I think. Uh, I think there's going to be uh, some some rough games down the road for this Oklahoma State team if they can't figure it out, or Spencer Sanders can't come in and have a rebound uh, showing or two. Pierce, one name I'm not going to get wrong is Stetson Fleming Bennett the Fourth, or as we lovingly call him, the Mailman. If you uh, watched any of this Georgia team on Saturday, you will have been hopefully as tortured as we were. Georgia gets it done, and they cover the spread, which was a 26.5-point spread. 37-10 to 10 is the final score in Fayetteville versus the Arkansas Razorbacks, but it was messy. That first half, if we could throw that away and just take the second half, I'd feel pretty good about our chances. But Pierce, they at halftime, halftime we were trailing 7-5. to five. What was happening? Had to have two, a safety to get on the board. A safety, for gosh sakes. Uh, Felipe Franks, we knew were gonna be able to, was going to be able to go long. He did connect on a few of those passes, threw for 200 yards, uh, but he did also have a couple of mistakes as well. Um, but when it comes down to it, Georgia's QB situation looks a little rough. Now, to be fair, as of today, JT Daniels has been cleared to play. We don't know if... I think you go ahead and start Bennett next week, but we can get into that when we get into our preview episode. Um, but I will say that that gives you at least a little bit of juice knowing that you've got a five-star. Dwan Mathis never really looked comfortable on offense for the dogs, but Stetson comes in. He knows this team. The team knows him. He was able to just get, manage the game and got it done. Uh, and and it's not good if you're Georgia, but you did crockpot him. You did win. You did cover the spread. Uh, but I'm really, 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 really nervous next week when Auburn comes to town. Yeah, there aren't there aren't. I'm not uh, overly thrilled at the performance this week from the dogs. You know, there were some good things. Uh, obviously, I, when you go back and you look, I, Arkansas isn't going to wow you on offense, but 
Felipe played well. They had a decent game plan going in. Uh, you kind of thought that would be the case. A lot of these teams that are know that they are the inferior opponent and are just hoping that they can surprise you in some ways. Um, and, and they come out and game plan for that. And I thought they did. And, and, you know, you go back and you look, and if you want to be picky, you know, Georgia didn't look that great, but they, you know, won by the most points in the SEC. Um, so, you know, not too shabby. They were right on line with that, uh, with that spread too. So defense played great, obviously limited them to very little rushing, had three turnovers, um, a key pick six. Dewan Mathis uh, really struggled, and, and I hate that for him. Stetson Bennett came in, played well. Uh, so it's interesting. You, you have uh, two storylines here. Okay, Georgia won by the spread that, that they were intended to win by or sh- that people expected them to win by with their fourth-string quarterback. Oh, by the way, he was a walk-on back in 2017. You can also look at, well, he might be their best option moving forward. And they didn't look great otherwise on offense. Eh, that's not a great great sign coming in uh, going into the season. Love the defense. I think this is time to buy on buy in on Georgia with their stock being so low and Florida's being so high. That being said, all all um, the key to this season, all hands point towards uh, all hands on deck for JT Daniels. If he is not, if he. And I'm worried because I the what Kirby what's coming out of Kirby Smart's mouth and and you know he's good enough to trick everybody and you know who knows this was maybe a preseason game and he was ready for JT Daniels to be cleared next week maybe he was ready to be cleared this week and he just didn't want to you know release that because he knew he could win he plays mind games like that that being said I'm very worried because everything that I'm hearing is that Dewan really did win the starting job even if Daniels was ready. He wouldn't have started, and that scares me. So, the defense can carry them, you know, so just so far. The offense needs to be able to. Somebody needs to be able to put the ball in the hands of playmakers, and it doesn't have to be deep. Just get it in there, get it in their hands. So, we'll learn a lot more next week. Let me tell you that it's going to be a fun one. Another quarterback, Pierce, that might be losing his starting role is Chase Bryce at Duke. The Blue Devils, in their third game of the season, lose again. They are now winless on the season as they took the Virginia Cavaliers on. Virginia wins that game 38-20. to uh, This was Virginia's first game. Uh, reminder here that they... We're supposed to start the season off first Georgia. That obviously got canceled when the pandemic hit. And then VMI said, hey, we're not going to play this fall. Then Virginia Tech, their rival, their in-state rival, uh, and, and them had to postpone due to some COVID situations. Uh, so ultimately, Virginia finally gets on the field and they get it done. Uh, like I said, Chase Bryce had a really rough day. The transfer quarterback from Clemson threw four picks uh, and he only completed 16 of his 36 attempts. David Cutcliffe basically said, hey, I'm opening this competition back up. And, and rightfully so. You know, if you're Duke, I was pretty high on Duke in the, going into the year. I like David Cutcliffe as a coach. And, and I think a lot of the media did as well, thinking, hey, they'll, they'll, they'll get a couple wins here. But uh, they ultimately, like I said, are winless so far on the season. Uh, and they have Virginia Tech next Saturday, which could ultimately be a loss as well. Virginia, for what it's worth, has to go to Clemson next week. So woof for them. But we shall see if the Cavaliers have any juice left in the tank to take on the number one Tigers. But Pierce, like I said, Tough, tough, tough for Duke, uh, but Virginia looking really good when they finally were able to get on the field four times the charm. Yeah, you, uh, you know, going back to our ACC preview, I said 
Duke was going to struggle. I mean, they've been waiting to take the next steps. They've been anticipating this for the last two or three years. The defense is surprising. have been, been great under Cutcliffe, which is funny only because Cutcliffe's an offensive guy. Um, more notably, <laughs> a quarterback guru. Um, you thought Chase Bryce might be the answer? I thought after Notre Dame, he looked like the answer. That being said, they've really struggled the last two games. I, I agree. I don't think Chase Bryce is the answer there. Maybe he's the best thing they have cooking. I, I don't see it. I, I, I you got to give the next guys a chance. Um, but got to feel good for Virginia, who's coming off uh, um, an incredible historic season for them. In the, you know, considering their history uh, on the football field, they lost some huge players. More, most notably, their star quarterback. To come out and, and beat Duke, you know, I know Duke's 0-3. You might argue at the end of the year it wasn't a difficult win, but still good to come out and get a victory under their belt. Um, the Hoos uh, start out 1-0 and got, gosh, questions about Duke. Absolutely. Last but not least, Pierce, the game of the night, the number 16 Tennessee Volunteers going to Columbia to take on the South Carolina Gamecocks. Tennessee keeps rolling after they got off to a slow start last season. They now have won their seventh straight game. Yeah, it's been two seasons, but you know what I'm trying to say here. 31 to 27 is the final score there. It did come down to what I thought was South Carolina making a, a final little push there. I thought that they were going to uh, catch the Vols, but ultimately it was too little too late. Garantano still don't love him as a passer. He did put up 259 yards and a touchdown, but he's so, so inconsistent. Colin Hill, for what it's worth for South Carolina, the transfer quarterback out of uh, Colorado State, looked pretty good. 25 completions for 290 yards and a touchdown as well. But like I said, all Tennessee from pretty much the get-go, the Volunteers hang on to win this game 31-27. to And good for Jeremy Pruitt. He got paid extension through 2025. Uh, and if you're Tennessee, you got to be feeling pretty good. Now, granted, it was a South Carolina team who probably is going to be without their head coach next year because he's probably going to get fired. And the, you, some of those memes that you were seeing coming out of the game with, of sad fans from South Carolina was just, ooh, you feel bad for the Gamecocks a little bit, but not really. They will have to travel to Florida next week, so that'll probably be a loss. Tennessee gets their homeowner, home opener versus Missouri, so they're going to be uh, probably 2-0. and here to start the season so pretty good stuff for the volunteers if you do say so yourself yeah and if you want to if you want to look at these teams a little bit closer this game a little bit closer even though they're not upper echelon teams so i may be maybe doing a little bit much here but i think both of these teams were fairly even and i know tennessee fans might get upset about that might take offense to that south carolina might scoff their heads and and turn their heads and go ha, yeah right we were terrible Colin Hill did okay. You know, South Carolina came out that first possession and looked like, okay, Mike Bobo and company have really got something going here. At the end of the day, the difference to me, it was it was just one simple thing. Tennessee played with a swagger and a confidence that comes when you have, okay, yes, you have, a, a you know, talent, but more so you believe in what the coaches are preaching. South Carolina, on the other hand, was the exact opposite. They failed in the small, the little things. And I think, I don't think I know that comes from coaching. The unfortunate interception that Colin Hill threw where the guys just seemed to give up and not try and tackle Toa for the pick six, that ridiculous, I mean, I don't know what the heck was going on 
with that punt return that inexcusably hit, um, uh, you know, a blocker on South Carolina, and that was their last chance to go down and score. It's clear. It's a shame for some of the coaches that maybe just come came on with South Carolina. They are recruiting at a better level than I think they're used to, but it's very cut and dry here. The difference between South Carolina and Tennessee being uh, a six, a five or six win team this year is the fact that Tennessee has good coaches and South Carolina doesn't. And it's clear the players believe that because there's not much of a talent gap. Muschamp goes in the next two games, I think. Yeah, well, we shall see. We'll definitely be keeping a very close eye on that. And you people will hear first if you will be doing a couple things. You'll hear first, I should say. Subscribe to us here on the podcast feed because I'm starting to do a daily news dump, as I'm calling it. A short-form podcast, three to five minutes every single day, just talking about the biggest headlines in college football. Also, subscribe to us on social media at Bragging Pod across all social media platforms. That's bragging without the G, bragging at Bragging Pod. Um, leave us a review and share this podcast as well. Any little support helps, and it super encourages us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll be back in a couple of days here with our Week 5 preview. It's been super fun breaking down Week 4. I'm so happy to have SEC back, and we're starting to stare down the barrel of uh, the Big Ten joining in as well. So before you know it, it's going to feel like nothing even happened other than the fact that you have to wear a mask everywhere you go and, uh, oh, you know, COVID testing and, you know, whatever. But 2020 is starting to feel a little bit normal. We're back. Football's rolling, and we are happy to be here to talk about it. So uh, that's going to do it for our Week 4 preview, or recap, I should say. Like I said, we'll be back in a couple days with a preview podcast. For the Bragg and Rights Podcast, I'm Madison. And I'm Pierce. Stay blessed, y'all.